I want to set the stage this morning, especially for those who do not come from a Pentecostal background. And, and I realize that in our church, there are a lot of folks that like, are like that. Paul states this imperative. He says, as, as a believer, as a follower of Jesus, be filled with the fullness of the Holy Spirit. Another translation says, be filled and refilled and stay in the state of Holy Spirit overflow. Paul says it's not a suggestion. It's, it's not an option. He says, be sure to be full. To, to the point of constant and continual overflow with the Holy Spirit. Not a cup half full or half empty, but a cup, a container that's full and running over all the time. Kyle, I'm going to have you come and preach today. You had way better success. Anyways, here we go. Um, what does that look like? What does Holy Spirit fullness mean? What, what does it produce in our walk with God to be filled to the point of fullness with the Holy Spirit? Last week, Pastor Eric gave a great biblical picture on the life of Stephen, a man full of the Holy Spirit, and I frequently go to his story and to his example to be inspired and challenged with, with, with fullness. Today, I'm aware that, as I said already, many of the people who make this their church home did not grow up, did not start their faith walk with a Pentecostal or charismatic background. And so when we talk about the Holy Spirit, when we say we're having a Holy Spirit conference, they just look around and think, well, what, what's that all about? What, what, what does that mean? What, it, it, it's new to them and perhaps a bit mysterious. You may have grown up in a church that had you memorizing the Apostles' Creed, which is a fabulous uh, head start in, in theology. But the Creed doesn't give much information about who the Holy Spirit is or what His work is. It, it talks about faith in God, who is Father Almighty, the Creator of heaven and earth. It goes on to speak of Jesus Christ, God's only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried, descended to the, to the dead, and on the third day rose again. He ascended into heaven, is seated at the right hand of the Father, and he will become the judge of the living and of the dead. That, that's a lot of information. That's a lot of theology. And so when they get to speaking about the Holy Spirit in the Apostles' Creed, it says this, I believe in the Holy Spirit. Period. Nothing of his role in the Godhead. Nothing of his work in our lives or his mandate from Jesus. I believe in his existence, but basically I have no clue what he does. It, it, it's like I'll go someplace, uh, and, and it happened a couple of times during the Christmas break. I was someplace, and, and they said, now, we know you're a pastor, but what do you do? Like, we know you preach on Sunday, but what do you do for the rest of the week? Well, we sit around the office and play rook. and No, that, you know, what, what is it? What, it? what does that mean? And so, um, Nothing of his role. And so I grew up in a spiritual tradition that loved and sought out the person and the work of the Holy Spirit. I grew up with the Holy Spirit stories and experiences and Holy Spirit encounters. 
I, I, I love, I love the Holy Spirit. I love his work. I, I love his presence. But I know for many, it's, it's a new, it's an uncommon emphasis. So let me ask the question. How many of you grew up outside Pentecostal charismatic context? Can I, can I just get you to raise your hand really high? Okay, and just leave it there. Okay, please notice that some in the front row here, okay? Okay, so, so about at least a third, maybe, maybe even a bit more. And so this is my expression. This is my hope to help you. We use those two words, Pentecostal and charismatic, as interchangeable. Not everyone does. Some see subtle differences. They believe that one is more traditional, more historical than the other. Some see slightly different issues on issues like gifts or the experience of fullness. But, but for the most part, they are seen worldwide as being and meaning the same thing. And when someone says that they're a Pentecostal or a charismatic, it means that they believe that everything that happened in the book of Acts can happen today. It means that they believe that everything in the book of Acts, they're expecting to happen today. It means that they believe that the Holy Spirit is available and that he's working and that he's doing his work in us and through us. That it wasn't closed off at a certain time when the last apostle died. But there's this expectation that he's the same yesterday, today, and forever. And that we need him more now than ever before. We believe that each and every day we are writing the 29th chapter of Acts. Of course, there are people who say that's not true. There's a very famous, well-thought-of Bible teacher who teaches that there's a special place reserved in hell for us Pentecostals. That's an extreme view, and it's not held by very many people. There are many who tolerate us. Debbie had a, a speaker come into a, a worship time at, at uh, her Rev 7 at Heritage. And, and just as a result of what went on there, it wasn't, it wasn't a big deal or anything. But all of a sudden, kids started getting filled with the Holy Spirit and speaking in tongues. A couple of people went, oh, those Pentecostals were, were tolerated. But there are many who appreciate us, but there are very few who can ignore us. Uh, of, of course, you, you need to know that it's just not a few. There are 2.1 billion Christians in the 7 billion plus people in the world. 2.19. Of that number, it is estimated that 700 to 900 million charismatics and Pentecostals were the fastest growing segment of the church. And there are some who believe that that number is too small because we don't know what's going on in China where they're, being, where they're exploding and growing. We don't know what's happening in, in the Arab countries where, where there's a, an incredible turning away from, from traditional religion and coming to Jesus because of signs and wonders and visions that are happening. 
They're found, Pentecostals are found in every corner, every denomination, every country. I, listen, I have had the worst time with this, this uh, sermon in that um, there's so much I want to tell you. There's so much history. There's so, I started off with 15 pages, and then we would have been here till tomorrow, and, and we may have to cut off at some point, but I'm watching the clock. I can't even see the clock. Um, okay, here we go. We're going to race as fast as we can, okay? Um, the, the argument has been that the gifts died with the last member of the original 12, or perhaps with, with Paul. But, but two verses are used to, as a proof that the deadline of expiry on the work and the gifts of the Holy Spirit is not yet passed, and, and that they will be active until the moment that Jesus arrives on the earth to take his church home. The first one I've already quoted from Hebrews. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. He's as powerful. He's as dynamic an entity. And, and his plan was that the church would be as dynamic and as, as powerful as it was at the very beginning. And, and you live in the same world I do. And don't we need the church to be as powerful as it was in the beginning? Yeah. And, and, and the second is from Ephesians. Paul is speaking of the five leadership gifts, that of apostle, prophet, evangelist, pastor, and teacher. And, and he says, we will, not, uh, we will not need these when, and then he lays out the parameters. These gifts given by God to the church will function until there's perfect unity among all God's church. Does that happen right now? Okay, so may, maybe this is still for today. Um, the, the second parameter is this. Until we've come to know the fullness and the power of what it means to be a child of God. And we're getting there, but I don't think we're there yet. And, and finally, until we stand as a witness before the world as one person who is fully mature and developed in the fullness of who God is and what God can do through Jesus Christ in and through us. None of those have been fulfilled to this point. So the work of the Holy Spirit is still needed right now, still needs to work in and empower His church as He has from the very beginning at Pentecost. Allow me to say that my Pentecostal experience, my love of the Holy Spirit and of His work, my love for my spiritual prayer language, my expectation of God to do amazing things does not make me better, does not make me holier, does not make me more superior than anyone else in the kingdom. There is no spiritual arrogance that's tied to the gifts of the Holy Spirit. There is no spiritual pride. I, like everyone else, am just a broken down sinner that was saved and transformed by grace. No more, no less. There is no spiritual caste system in the kingdom where those who have it are more holy than those who don't. Please hear that. That's an important thing to say. I do want you to know that my experience with Holy Spirit has made my life better, has made my joy fuller, has made me love Jesus more than I did before, but it hasn't lifted me to a higher plane than anyone else who has not had that experience. 
It's also important to know what the mandate was for the Holy Spirit to fulfill once Jesus went to stand at the right hand of the Father. In John chapter 16, he calls his, his followers together and he says that he's not going to always be with them. That, that it's important and part of the plan for him to return to the Father, but they would not be left alone. And he says he, Jesus, would send someone who is the Holy Spirit to help them. He says that it was to our advantage that he, Jesus, goes away and that he would send a divine encourager. There's a lot of different translations that, that try to get that, that Greek word paraclete called alongside so that we understand, we picture what it means. The divine encourager, the divine comforter, the coach, a teacher to lead us and help us and equip us for the work that God has for us. That the Holy Spirit would always help them obtain the information that they could not retain at the moment. He says, I have tons of things to tell you, but you can't handle it right now. It would overload and blow all your circuits. But Holy Spirit will help you. He says that the Holy Spirit would speak and always lead them to truth. Unveil and reveal truth within you. You will know the truth. Holy Spirit would not speak his own word, would not speak his own message, but would only reveal prophetically to us the things that are yet to come so that we would not be blindsided, we would not be ambushed. That these words would be the message of Jesus for us at the moment. They would be appropriate for that situation. He won't leave us in a brand new situation with our, with our finger at our cheek. What, what do we do now? From that teaching of Jesus, we get an understanding that Holy Spirit is here to train, is here to equip, to empower, clarify, make bold and strong the followers of Jesus. In Acts, we read that the Holy Spirit spoke and, and told the church what to do at various points in their history. Phrases like, it seemed good to us in the Holy Spirit to lay hands on these men and send them out. Acts talks about Holy Spirit speaking clearly to individuals, to groups, to churches, to leadership. If I can throw some of my own stories in, and listen, I have so many, and I just, it was, it was so painful to pull some of them out, but if, if I can throw some of my stories in from my own life and experience to illustrate and cause you to be hungry for some more. I, I would be happy to do so. The, the whole thing about Holy Spirit speaking to us as individuals is vital and primary as far as I'm concerned. Um, at a time when I was fairly new in leadership at this church, and I, one of the prayers that was, was ringing in my heart and that I was praying in this very room was, God, I want to hear your voice, and I want to hear it clearly. I, I, I want to know what you want me to do every day. And one day as I was praying in this room, I heard God say to me through the Holy Spirit, tomorrow you're going to the airport to pray over a couple that were going into missionary service. And he said, when you pray, look over the wife's shoulder and see a lady in blue. That was, the, that was what he told me. So I just tucked that away and, and uh, 
The instruction was cleared. There was no further information. I didn't know whether I was supposed to speak to her. Was I supposed to give her something? Was, was the purpose, what was the purpose of, of seeing the lady in blue? So we get to the airport and the crowd gathers around and we lay hands on this couple and, and I'm praying very intently and, and I look over the shoulder of my friend and there 30 feet away from me was a lady in blue, blue hat, blue coat, blue gloves, blue purse, and blue shoes. Blue. Blue. Blue is blue. She was blue. And I started to panic. What am I supposed to do? I had found my spiritual target. What did God want me to do? And then he spoke to me very clearly. I don't want you to do anything. Well, that was a bit confusing. Why then did I look for the lady in blue? And he said, this is so that you know you hear my voice. And when you do, I want you to hear and obey it. It's something that I count on every day to hear Holy Spirit speak to me about my day. This week, just as an example, I woke up on Thursday and I had this friend that I hadn't seen for a little while uh, on my heart. And there was no reason that I should be thinking of it. It was Valentine's. I was really only thinking of my Valentine. But in my head, I was thinking of this person. And so in the car as I'm driving to work, I'm thinking, God, what is it about this person? What do you want me to do? And, And Holy Spirit said, encourage. Okay, so I got here and I opened up my computer and I started an email right away. And I find this in just about everything I do. I never have any fear when I'm speaking or when I'm doing anything like that. It's always after I leave that I think, did I just make myself look like a big, silly goose? Like, what, what was that all about? And so I, I'm writing, and I'm encouraging, and I have, I have scripture, and I have, I have pictures, and I'm writing it all, and I'm sending it. And after it's gone, I think, you know, I really don't know what's discouraging my friend. I don't know what's going on. My friend knows all of this way better than I do. Who am I to do that? But I heard the voice and I responded. 90 minutes later, a note comes, Bill, I needed to hear this today. I have had the most difficult weeks and your words were a great reminder of who God is and who I am in God. And it's not because I'm special or that, you know, I'm... None of that. It's because Holy Spirit was invited into my life to speak. That happens to me all the time. That's the norm for me. And it's to be the norm for all of us. It helps us show up at the right time to the right people with the right answer. The responsibility is all on the Holy Spirit to lead me. And all I'm responsible for is to create a space for him to speak and the ability to listen and to respond in obedience. It's way easier. Holy Spirit is also in charge of personal transformation. Moving us from who we were when we encountered Jesus to making us more and more like Jesus. For me, that's a huge transformational job. 
It involves character. It involves perspective. It involves a personality shift. Galatians says that Holy Spirit works in us to replicate the character and the personality of Jesus in us. Galatians 5, but the fruit produced by the Holy Spirit is is within you, is divine love in all its varied expressions. It's joy that overflows, it's peace that subdues, it's patience that endures, it's kindness in action, it's a life full of virtue, faith that prevails, gentleness of heart and strength of spirit. If we've ever needed it, we need that right now. If, If you could have known me as a child, you might not recognize me now. And, and, and warning, there's still so much transformation that's needed in my life. Don't, don't amen that, okay? Just keep that to yourself, Debbie. But there's so much transformation that still needs to occur. But as a child, I was, I was shy. I was awkward. I was frustrated with my limited ability to communicate. I was pretty negative. I was sarcastic, and I was full of fear. At the age of 13, my pastor stood up in the fall of, of, one, of that year and started to preach a four-part series on the Holy Spirit. And the more he talked, the more hungry I became. I was so intrigued, so hungry for, for what he talked about that at, at the altar call, I went forward, I buried my head in the corner and I cried out for God, God, I want exactly what he's talking about. I want all of Acts in here. 13 years old. A wonderful lady from my church came and she started to help me understand all the, the feelings that I was experiencing. And, and within a half an hour, she, she had me prayed through to the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And I was speaking in my prayer language. And it changed my life. I'd love to tell you that I was a perfect angel, but I wasn't. But I wasn't as bad as I could have been. I started to to feel God, started to know God, started to hear God. And that was a transformational moment. It changed me. It made me more focused, more joyful, more kind. I I said it already, but I'll say it again. The transformation is ongoing and, and, and will be until I'm presented to the Father, completed by the work of grace. But transformation has not always been easy or pain free. It means that I have to go back sometimes. The Holy Spirit says, now, boy, you made a big mess of that. You better go back and apologize for that. You better clean that up. He's changed me. He's changing me. He will continue to change and refine and perfect me. It's part of what he does. Then there's the gifts. There's there's so much, and I'm just trying to give you a little snapshot, just a, a little taste of salt to make you thirsty this morning. There's, there's the gift. Paul talks in three letters and Peter talks in one about the gifts of the Holy Spirit. Supernatural ability to do what needs to be done. And, and it, it goes from the ridiculous to the sublime. Jesus shows up at a, at a wedding and, and his mother says, listen, there's a bit of an embarrassing situation here. The, the host didn't plan for the heavy drinkers that showed up and so he's short of wine. And you know the story, Jesus turns the water into the very best of wine. That doesn't seem like a big deal. But to Jesus, it was. 
And then, then we go through the, through the story and we see that, that he delivered, he healed all kinds of people from sickness and demons. He supernaturally found money for taxes. He spoke of things which had not occurred with such accuracy and such detail that, that you know it had to be supernatural insight and understanding. We go to the book of Acts and we, we read there and we see that God works signs and wonders through people all over the place. That, that's the norm for kingdom activity. That's the norm for you. That's the norm for me. And he just wants us to see that. My primary gift is that of a pastor. I've been given a shepherd's heart. I love my call. Many of my friends think that I have special understanding of pastoring, but it's just part of who I am. I, I, I never think of it as a big deal other than it's who God has made me to be and how he's gifted me to operate. However, in my work, I run into all sorts of, of circumstances that are above my pay grade, beyond my training, beyond my understanding. I ran into a, 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 a former Bible college teacher, and he said, so Bill, how are you doing? How, how's the ministry going? And I said, well, I've been thinking of suing you for malpractice. You didn't help me at all get ready for what I had to face. But my understanding of our mission is that we're to operate as a team, and when you're in need and no one else is around, then you count on Holy Spirit to show up and help you get the job done. So I'm not prophetic. I, I, don't, I don't think of myself at all as prophetic, but I have known God to show up and give me detailed prophetic information, and I've spoken it out as directed. I don't think that I have particularly the gift of faith, but I have known God to stir me up in, and, and make some incredible pronouncements that afterwards when I've gone home, I've thought, oh no, what have I just said? One of those was last September. We'd come through a, a period where financially we'd been tight here at the church and I showed up and I announced, listen, we're going to have 200 gift cards for our neighborhood at Christmas time. Went home and I thought, that's, well, that's a lot more than we've ever done before. That, that's a lot of money. I started thinking, in our accounts, do we have some extra money that I could pull out so that if we don't make, make what we've asked for, we could sort of help that? And, and Holy Spirit just stirred up in me. That was me speaking. You did what I've told you. Just count on it. By the second week in December, I'm kicking myself for not declaring we could do 300 because we made the 200 easily. The gifts of the Holy Spirit make a huge difference. I have many friends in, in ministry who have become broken, who have become disillusioned with church. It's, it's a hard place to work sometimes. And I'm, I'm told that for every 100 men and women who enter into ministry... Only eight of them will retire as ministers. 
I have to say, I love ministry. And the only reason that I have survived the most difficult moments at the most challenging situation when I've not known what to do or what to say, it's because God has shown up and he's impressed me with his power and his ability and allowed me in some small way to help bring help and hope and miraculous intervention through partnership with the Holy Spirit. I, I wish I had more time, but we don't. And, and so let's try to make this impossible message include a line or two about our spiritual language or about tongues. Many of you didn't grow up knowing anything about that. Lots of confusion and division over spiritual language. Questions about what is allowed, who can and who cannot speak in tongues, what is the purpose. And I want you to know I'm never willing to get into a fight about Holy Spirit. I know the background that people come from make a difference. One of the university professors said, you can't understand a person's theology until you fully understand their autobiography. And so I understand that many of you came from places that didn't believe that tongues were for today or that they were at all available today. And I don't fight with you. I, I know that, diff, that, that background makes a difference. I know this too, that a man with an experience never is at the, at the woe of someone with an argument. I know that Holy Spirit comes and makes my prayers way more effective, way more powerful than when I'm praying on my own. I, I want you to know that I love to pray just because of Holy Spirit being in me. I used to pray the Christmas list. God, I need, I want, I want you to, I ask for. And that works, and it's, it's helpful, but it can be frustrating and discouraging in that while he hears what I say, he doesn't always seem to answer in the time frame I told him to answer in. You may have experienced that as well. So, I know that Holy Spirit comes and he prays in me. I... I had a friend in this city who was a pastor. His name was James. And I, he and I would set aside a week at a time to pray two or three times a year. We'd start at his church and then one day, and then we'd come to this church, and then we'd go to his for five full days. He'd drop his daughter off, and usually by 8.30, we were in the room praying, and we prayed until he had to go and pick his daughter up at 3 or 4 o'clock in the afternoon. He would walk through the door, and I, I had a hundred questions. What are we going to pray about today, James? Or how, how is this going to look today? Or, and for me, the most important question, when are we going to have lunch? You know, like, uh, it, I just had all these questions. And he'd take his finger, and he pointed at me, and he said, nothing until we've prayed in the Spirit for two hours. Now, I, ha I have to tell you, that's like asking this heavyset boy to run to Banff and back without taking a break. Two hours, that's a long, long time. And I, I struggled with that 
But as I engaged with Holy Spirit that way, things started to happen. I, I started, as I'm praying in the Spirit, I started to see problems differently. I, I had scripture that came to light in ways that I had never understood them before. I, I got revelation. I got wise insight. And two hours was nothing. Two hours was nothing. And I, and I first understood what, what Isaiah meant when he said that they that wait upon the Lord would renew their strength. They would run and not be weary. They would walk and not faint. Because after two hours, that's how I felt. That's how I felt. God showed me things that happen or would happen weeks and months down the road before they happened. And and I would be prepared. I would be ready. He gave me answers to questions that had not yet been asked. He gave me warnings about dangers in people and circumstances so that I would be prepared so that when we got there, I would be the strong man of God and not this quivering, cowardly little guy. What do we do now? Let me tell you what the Holy Spirit expert says in his writing to the Romans in chapter 8. When we don't know how to pray or know the best things to ask for, the Holy Spirit rises up within us to super intercede on our behalf, pleading to God with emotional sighs too deep for words. God, the The searcher of the heart knows fully our longings, yet he also understands the desire of the Spirit because Holy Spirit passionately pleads before God for us, his holy ones, in in perfect harmony with God's plans and our destiny. I, um, I, I sit here in the front at the beginning of the service and, and I just worship and I, I get going, you know, and I'm... You know, and, and, and one day a guy who was visiting came and said, um, what's that all about? You, you look really weird. I, I found that distracting. And I just looked at him and I said, so when you, are, are you a sports fan? Oh yeah, I love the Stampeders. I said, so when you go to the Stampeder game, how do you react? Oh, well, I paint my face and I, you know, I put on a special hat and I run, 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 and I blow the plastic horn and, and I wave a flag. And I said, and I look weird. <laughs> it's me that's the weird one in this room. I'm there and I'm, Holy Spirit is having me fight and break through walls and, and, and I'm lifting hands and I'm changing atmospheres. In 1977, I was in Bible college, and my first Sunday in my adopted church in Chilliwack, British Columbia was an interesting one. It was an already fairly large Pentecostal church, but that Sunday it was even larger. 250 people who had been thinking and knowing that there was more to faith and God than what they were expecting, and that's always where it starts. This hunger for more. This reading of the word and saying, listen, I love what I'm reading here, but I'm not experiencing it. And and there's this hunger. It's how we got, as a family, we got into it in the first place. In in 1908, my great-grandfather, who was a Saskatchewan farmer, had heard, 
He, he loved the word, he loved church, he served as an elder in his church, but he'd heard about something going on down in, in Azusa Street Mission, run by, by Brother Seymour, a black man who, who was having these huge meetings with every color under the rainbow. And my grandpa said, I can't really afford it, but I got to get there. I'm hungry for something. So he went with a group of other men and went down to Azusa Street Mission and, and there had hands laid on him and all of a sudden spoke with other tongues and, and had this new expectation of what God could do, would do, and was going to do through his life. And he came back and he was a firebrand and, and the nice little church in the country that had him as their elder didn't know what to do with him and so they booted him out, asked him not to return. And so he just thought, well, that must be God opening a door. And so for the rest of his life, he not only farmed in Weldon, Saskatchewan, but he went everywhere he could get an invitation and he preached as a lay preacher. That's how we came out into this whole thing. It was a hunger. It was a sad. And so 250 people who had this burning desire for more of God showed up at the Pentecostal church in Chilliwack. That morning, God changed the pastor's uh, message. The pastor really wasn't a pastor. He was an evangelist hiding in a church as a, as, as an, uh, as a pastor. And, and God spoke to him and said, listen, for the next four Sundays, I want you to talk about the Holy Spirit. And I don't want you to give an altar call until the last, last Sunday. Well, Brother Martin didn't know what to do with that. He gave an altar call when he prayed over his food. Like he, he just was that kind of guy. And so he obeyed the Holy Spirit, and these 250 people came Sunday after Sunday after Sunday, and there was this hunger, and it was torment. They, were, they, they, they loved what they heard, they loved what they learned, but they were looking for something more, and they wanted it now. And the third Friday, one of the ladies had sent her family to, to school and to work, and she was doing her household chores, and she started crying out to God, God, I, I can't wait any longer. I need it now. I need whatever you have. I want it here. And she just kept saying that over and over and again. And when the family returned late in the afternoon, they found her laying on the floor, crying and laughing, all at the same time, speaking in a language she'd never learned. And from that moment, it exploded. All 250 of them came to fullness of the Holy Spirit. And it changed the dynamic of that church. Holy Spirit sends ministry gifts to people for a purpose. I want to talk just briefly. And can you, I haven't preached for four weeks, so I'd like to keep you here all week. But... Um, I'm trying to be as fast as I can. And, and so here's, I, I want to talk about what's going to happen next, next weekend. I've invited again my good friend, Graham uh, Fletcher. He's a prophet. He doesn't like anybody to use a, a, a title or anything. He just wants me to call him Fletch. You know, and I love that about him. He's been through all sorts of things and he has stewarded many revivals and he's one of the guys that I know best who not only knows how to flow in the Holy Spirit, but he also knows how to set people up to continue that work after he leaves. And so we've invited him to come. I've told him, I've talked to him about what I think we need, what I want us to, to have here. And, and he's listened and he'll work as hard as he ha can to help us out. However, here's the bottom line. He'll go wherever the Holy Spirit leads him to go. And so he'll come and sometimes 
It doesn't always work this way, but I just want to prepare you, especially you who are brand new to this. Sometimes there's personal prophecy. That scares you because you think of the Old Testament prophet. You think of Nathan showing up to David and saying to him, you've committed adultery and I know that you've bumped off the, the woman's husband and, and just bringing out all the dirty lawn and you, you're the man. And, and we're all afraid of that. And, and the New Testament prophet is, is different than that. It's, it, it's, it's changed. The, the Old Testament prophecy, it was bold, forthright, and prof- powerful. And the New Testament prophecy has changed in this area. The Holy Spirit comes through prophecy, first of all, to stir up. You know, in our busy lives, we become dull and we become distracted and we forget the purpose. We forget the mission. And the Holy Spirit comes and says, don't forget. Don't forget while you're here. Stir up the, the, the fire so that it's not just smoking embers. Get the flames going again. This is, this is supposed to be an adventure where you can serve the Lord with great joy and gladness. That, that you can be the head and not the tail. That you can see things that are impossible. Stir it up. That quite often happens. It not only happens that way, but then there are times when we need a boost. We need a, a, a confirmation. We need some strength for the next chapter of our autobiography. So Holy Spirit can use prophecy to build us up, make us strong, give us insight into the preparation that we need to be making for whatever is ahead. And finally, when we've lost sight of the mission, lost the joy of our service, the, pro, the, the, the prophetic can come and can cheer us up can stir us up, can build us up, and it can cheer us up. It, 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 it restores joy to our service. It, it can make us clear as to the fact that God's going to win. He's pushing us through. He's taking us. And, and, and it's an amazing thing. When, when Graham is ministering at the altar, Debbie and I usually travel with him, and we do that for two reasons. We, we listen to what he says to who and to whom he's saying it, and we, we do that so that we can, can help the person who's the recipient. We can say, listen, do you understand what he said? Do you understand what it meant? Usually they say yes, but if they don't, we can, we can be of assistance. We also do it because we're responsible for protecting the man and his gift. There's been occasion, one or twice, two times, where, where someone's come in to make a mockery of it all, to just prove that this is Baha humbug. And I've, I've just gone to him and I've said, listen, keep going. Just, just skip here. Because I'm protecting the man and I'm protecting the gift. so much to say. I love Holy Spirit. I love when He works. I, this morning as we were worshiping, you guys did a great job there. As we were worshiping, there was this surge, and I thought, we, we could raise the dead right now. Like, it's, it's, it's here. We could do it. We could do it. Finally, the words of Jesus on appetite. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. They'll be filled. I, I've been on a journey in the, the whole area of hunger lately, learning to pay attention to what my body says about hunger. I, I, I've learned that sometimes I can misinterpret the signs as hunger. I might have had a good breakfast, 
and still might be a long distance away from lunch, and it seems that my body is saying, I'm hungry, it's demanding to be fed, and it wants to be fed right now. When really what's happening is my body is bored and it's looking for something to occupy the time and, and to comfort it and to, you know, make it feel like it's nap time, you know? My body has a selfish component to it as well. It, it doesn't want someone else to determine a schedule. It wants to be fed on its own terms. I can get home at the end of my day and know that the evening meal is about 60 to 90 minutes away from being served and... And I can feel like I should graze on some snacks while I wait. A handful of popcorn here, a, a bowl full of pistachio nuts there, a piece of bread, a few potato chips, and who's been hiding the dark chocolate in this house? And then when supper's served, I really am not feeling so hungry for the main meal. And Jesus uses this picture of appetite to help us go to things that are valuable and hold spiritual value. He says, control your appetite. Rain, in it, rain it in to be hungry for the things that God has for you, not grazing on all the stuff that will keep you full on empty calories. Make space for God. Create appetite and hunger for, for his work in our lives. David, would you come, please? I, I just need to see. Yeah, we've... No, we don't. Okay. Oh, shoot. Um, make space for God. Create appetite and hunger for his work in, his li in our lives. And, and your expectation will make sure that you walk away full, walk away satisfied. A couple of things that I want you to know this week. Carve out time every day. Carve out time every day this week to create room, to create expectation for the Holy Spirit. Start pacing up and down saying, God, I want more of you. I'm not satisfied with where I am. I've got friends and I've got relatives who, are hung, who, who, who don't know you. And, and God, I, I want something to happen in their lives. God, I've got hungers. I've got desires. I've got dreams and they're not coming to fulfillment. I'm, I'm stuck. I'm, I'm not really happy with where I am. You say that you'll satisfy me. I'm full. I want to be full. I wanna, I, I, I'm, I'm so hungry for more. Carve out time. Wander through Acts. You don't have to get through the whole book this week, although I think it was Thursday. I, I started just thinking, I, I just want to create some hunger. And before I knew it, I was at chapter 28. Underline the things that appeal to you, the things that say, boy, I wish that would happen in my life. Underline where it says, you and your household shall be saved. Some of you have got family that aren't serving the Lord. God, I'm hungry. Come, fill me now. Fill me. I... Come to conference. And come not as a spectator or a critic. Why is he doing that? What, what, what's that all about? Oh, I don't like that at all. Not one little bit. Don't come as a spectator. Come as a participant. Come and lift up your hands and sing as we sang this morning. Fill this place, Holy Spirit. Do a work. Do a work. Stand up, will you? Do a work in me. Stand up with me, please.
I'm so sorry that I rushed through so much, but I, my heart's full, and, and believe me, it's nine pages shorter than it was when I started, okay? Are you hungry? I mean, not just for Swiss or, or, or whatever is following this service, but are you hungry for something more? Are, are, are you reading in the Word and thinking, oh, God, why isn't that happening in my life? Are you facing some situations and some, some things that you don't know what to do with and, and it's, it's causing stress, it's causing tension and pressure and you're not sleeping at nights? Get into the place where Holy Spirit can fill you and speak to you and help you. Sometimes we think things that aren't important are important and we get sidetracked and He'll just come and he'll just put them in order. Let's deal with this first. Come not expecting to tell him, God, this is what you can do and how you can do it. Don't make me look like weird in front of anybody. I just want, I'm going to stay in my seat and I don't want anybody else to know what's going on. Just, you know, (laughs) Debbie, when she had an experience with the Holy Spirit for the first time, she laid out some restrictions. I couldn't find her because she was laying on the floor. Uh, oh God, you're in trouble. She's not going to like that. God will do what God will do because he's God and he knows what to do.